Don't be fooled by the nativity scene still being here. We're technically done with the Christmas season. I think we just forgot to take it down. Okay. So being here now two and a half years, um, I'm sure you've picked up on certain phrases that I typically, um, or I, I sometimes repeat. Just know that that's not me running out of material, okay? It's because I think there's some things for us to, 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 to have on our lips, to be on our mind, to really phrases and, and, and ideas and concepts that are important to be, to be part of us. And one of those phrases that I've repeated numerous times over the last two and a half years is that we're made for love. Every single person, whether they're in this church now or not, was created, was re, was recreated to receive love and to give love because we're created by love. That's what we're, so what we're made for. We're made to, to be, to be loved and, and then to give love. And of course, when I, when I repeat that phrase, that's me referring to authentic love, genuine love, love that's real. You know, the, the classic definition on, on love that Thomas Aquinas provides is that love is to will the good of another. So if anything that presents itself as love, that's not that, it's not authentic love. It's not genuine. It's not real. Call it what you want. Call it, call it false love. But we're not, we're not created for that kind. We're not created to receive that kind of, of, of love, false love. We're not, and we're not created to give it. And not only are we not created for it, we're also not, we're not created to, to be involved with it, to be around it, because it does harm and it creates a mess. So that's really important for us to have as a backdrop as we look at our second reading, which is Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, as he addresses the topic of immorality. As we give it a quick listen, or if we were following along in the, in the hymnal, it can seem that Paul's just talking about general immorality. But Paul's not addressing just any kind of immorality. It's not as, he's not, he's talking about like immorality of, of theft or immorality of, of, of lying. Paul's specifically addressing sexual immorality. That's the context of these seven verses. That's the context of 1 first, first Corinthians chapter 6 here. And so what we see, what's, what's, on, what's on Paul's mind and, and heart, and, and, and as a pastor here with, the, with this issue, what's on my mind and heart here, and what Paul does, he inspires, he encourages, and he reminds. So for, for us here, I want us to see how the, Paul's going to inspire us to explore goodness and beauty, to encourage us to flee, and third, to remind us that we were purchased. So first, the goodness and beauty, right? When, when, when it comes to this topic, most of us grew up either in one of two camps. A lot of it depending on even like maybe what generation we grew up in. We got one camp that is, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that, don't even think that. And it's just maybe a list of things, of, of rules, of just no's, without, rather, without knowing the, the reason why behind the no's, or without giving a yes to, not, not seeing that the no's serves a purpose to a greater yes. And see, if that's the case, that's not helpful. It can actually be harmful, right? Somebody can, oftentimes it leads to one of two directions. The result of that could be like, okay, it, it could be rebellion. Like, I'm just... I'm told no on all these things. I'm just going to go ahead and, and do these things. I was just told no, and I didn't have the reasons of why or a greater yes. And 
Uh, the other alternative is just to come to think that sex is bad or that it's dirty. And see, that's not helpful either. That's also harmful to be in that spot. The other camp, so that's one camp. The other camp is more common, I'd say, in the more recent, in more recent decades, and that is as long as it feels good, do it. Or as long as it's consensual, if both parties consent, if consent's there, it's fine. And increasingly what we're finding out with that, that's also not helpful. And that's actually really harmful. And increasingly, even the secular, even coming from a, from a non-Christian perspective, non-biblical perspective, you, we see more and more people voicing and, and noticing the, the harms of, of this philosophy. Louise, um, Louise Perry, she's a young woman who recently wrote a book titled The Case Against the Sexual Revolution. Again, coming from a secular, non-biblical perspective. But she's kind of made it her mission going around and shining a light. Her, along with many other people, saying the sexual revolution promised freedom and liberation. Right? And so here it is, like 50 years ago, there's no longer this, we're no longer constrained to these traditional morals. The lid is off. But as she points out, and again, as many others, it's just led to a trail of brokenness. It's led to a trail of misery, and it's led to a trail of heartache. And what's, what's interesting, too, is, is that especially younger generation, Gen Z, maybe unlike any of the other generations, are looking at it and looking back at the 50 years from the sexual revolution and looking at kind of the fruits of it and like kind of looking like, maybe, maybe this isn't quite right. Maybe just a free-for-all and no strings attached and what was promised for freedom and liberation and freeing us, like maybe like something wasn't quite right there. There's trends on TikTok right now amongst Gen Z that's got ushered 40, 40 million people following a thread on just like a, a neo-celibacy of kind of saying no and waiting you know, there's, that just has thousands and thousands of comments. One, one young woman, 22 years old from Brooklyn, she says, I'm personally sick and tired of the hookup culture. It's unhealthy mentally and physically, I'm finding out. And we, and, and we start to lose the true value of sex by normalizing it so much. I'm tired of wasting my time and energy on totally meaningless connections. Another young woman says, I think we've been scammed. Both camps, the camp here, the camp here, the camp that says no, 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 without a reason of why, without giving a greater, the no's that give a, an insight to a greater yes and not to have the, the why's. And then also the camp here that says, do as you please. If it feels good, go for it. And as long as there's consent, feel free. Both of those camps are harmful. Both leaves one without a vision on how to live. Both of those leave a vision on what the, what, what the human body's for. And so what Paul does here, what the scriptures do, what God gives us, and he, he, he spells out that the bodies were for a purpose, that they're good, they're holy, that sex is good and holy and beautiful. So what I want to do just here is just point you into, if you're not familiar with John Paul II's Theology of the Body, really right here, what Paul is doing, what John Paul II does in the Theology of the Body 
to get familiar with, with his writings and what the Theology of the Body teaches. So on the website, we have a resource on the homepage of the website, Theology of the Body. Give, give it at least one of those resources a listen at the very top and just a very accessible video even of just what the theology of the body is and how, and how th that's what God's word and his way is what really promises true freedom and liberation. It's what really promises the way that we can, that the human being can flourish. But for us to allow the scriptures and God to give us a vision for human sexuality, that it's good and that it's beautiful. The second thing that Paul does and the second thing that's on my heart here when it comes to this issue for us is that we see that Paul encourages one to flee. It's important to know that Paul, as he's writing the Corinthians, the town of Corinth is a port city. And this issue for the town and city of Corinth is pervasive. That's why Paul's bringing it up. And as in verse 18, he simply says this, after he's been doing some of the, some of the theology of the body, then he says in verse 18, flee immorality, run from it, avoid it. Don't dabble in it. And as you hear Paul say that, and you hear it even coming from my words now, don't think of it as just this, you know, nose because I say so. But keep in mind that the nose are to a service, the avoiding, Paul saying to avoid is to, a, to the service of a greater yes, of a, of a greater goodness and beauty for God and the body. It's not arbitrary. It's not an arbitrary, just avoid this. It's like a parent who tells a little baby toddler to not put the fork in the electrical outlet. The baby, the toddler might see it as an arbitrary rule, but of course, as they get older and they mature, they can use their mind and they can reason and know the reason why I was told to avoid doing this is because otherwise I'd get hurt. It'd be harmful. I'd be singed. And so, and maybe I think a comment that you know, we often hear, I often hear, well, Father, it's pretty unrealistic, isn't it, to expect youth to be, to, you know, to control themselves in this area? Really? What we expect from our youth in so many other areas, to, dis to discipline themselves in the body, in high school or college, to chisel their bodies for athletics, for them to take AP 5 Spanish in Calculus 20 in high school, that they then discipline themselves and, and to... In, in all these other areas, but yet to be told, and you, you here, to be told that you're an animal in this area. You're not an animal. You, me, we don't have to allow our lower passions to override, but we can grow in chastity and temperance and remain in the struggle with it and to reach a spot of virtue which is, you know, why along, again, with the website, on the website, we have these five different categories of five different areas of sexual morality, and then just kind of spelling out through a video and other means of just why, with the reason why, why it's harmful, why we should avoid it, and then with each one as well, resources and, and help with how to flee and help with the flee to help with the struggle. But to be encouraged to remain in the, in the struggle, you know, because maybe like, maybe with this issue, unlike any other issue, there's so much shame that's attached to it. Hear this, 
God is not scandalized by sin. He's not scandalized by any sin, and he's not scandalized by sin in this area. But rather, he comes near, he comes to. The devil wants us to be ashamed. The Lord just comes near. He's not scandalized by sin, by us. He just comes near, and he's patient. Boy, is he patient. St. Francis de Sales says, have patience in all things, but chiefly have patience with yourself. Do not lose courage in considering your own imperfections, but instead set about remedying them every day. Begin the task anew tomorrow. Are you patient with yourself in this area? Are we patient with ourselves? The Lord's patient with us. Which brings us lastly to the last move that Paul makes when he's speaking about this topic. And again, it's the last move that's on my heart as we address this topic. It's reminding us that we're purchased. Verse 20, the last verse we heard, Paul says, you are not your own, but you are purchased with a price. What's he referring to? He's referring to this, the cross. The cross. Remember how we started off the homily talking about that phrase about love and authentic love? What's authentic love? This is authentic love. This is, this is the love that saves from sin. This is the love that restores, that renews, that transforms us in this area and every area to help us to become the man or woman that God's called us to be, the man or woman that we long to be. Authentic love is the only love that can heal and can transform and renew and change. Which I want to end with an illustration. The illustration is from The Beauty and the Beast, the animated first version, Beauty and the Beast. If you remember in the beginning, they, they kind of set up the whole rest of the movie and the, it mentions the prince. There's the prince that had everything, but he was selfish inside. He was cold inside. And because of that, he had a lot of shame and that shame came out a number of different ways. And one way, as we know, is that woman that came to, in, in the cold winter storm and she came to knock on the door of the castle to stay in there. And she says, Prince, can I just stay in this castle one night? And if he turns to her and just says, get out of here. No, makes fun of her. You're not staying in here, old lady. And if she turns into this sorcery and she casts a spell upon the castle and the whole kingdom and upon the prince. The result is he became a beast. Everything on the inside of him was now visible for the outside. All his shame due to his behavior that he couldn't help, that he was upset about, that he kept indulging in, it was all there on the outside. And as the sorceress said, only love will break the curse. The tagline in the entire movie, if you remember, it says, who could ever love a beast? And at the end of that opening thing, it even he was struggling, he even says, the beast, as the decades went on, he despaired, he grew hopeless. Because who could ever love a beast? And then, of course, Belle comes along, a woman who knew authentic love. And she realizes over the course of the movie, she realizes that at the heart of who he is, he's not a beast, but he's a man worthy of love. And so we know at the end of the movie, if I'm spoiling this for, for you, like, <laughs> go see the movie. At the very end of the story, 
the beast gives his life for Bell in sacrificial, authentic love. And as the beast gives his life for, as the beast gives his life for Bell, Bell finds him on top of the castle as, as he's dying, lying down, and Bell's there. And as he's about to die, all hope is about to be gone. The restoration for the kingdom and, and, and for the, the castle and those that live in the castle and the restoration for, for the beast himself, it's all about to be gone. And as Bell is standing over him as he's dying, the beast as he's dying, she leans down and she speaks her love for him. And she whispers to him on his chest as he's dying, I love you, as the last, rose as the last rosebud falls and hits the ground. And she speaks the words of I love you. Her words penetrate the depth of his soul, right through the crustiness, and the beastly parts. It goes right through and it resurrects him. And Sister Miriam says, as she recounts this part of the, of the movie, it's the greatest resurrection scene in cinematic history. The beast comes up and floats up and light spews from his fingers. Light spews from the toes of this beast. Light comes spreading from his face and he's transformed to this new man, restored and transformed into the prince. He's transformed from a beast to a man and it's authentic love that changes him. That's what Christ offers us. That's what his authentic love does. Paul says, you are not your own. You are purchased with a price, he says. So let us be inspired to explore the goodness and beauty around this area. Let us be encouraged to flee from it, immorality. And then third, to be reminded that we were purchased with a price.